Hello and welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is part three of the series titled The Fountain of Youth. Before the teacher hands out the final test, a good question to ask yourself is this one. If I get everything I want in this life, but I lose my soul in the process, what good is getting what I wanted? Maybe I need to back up even further and ask the more fundamental question, which is, do I believe I have a soul at all? I mean, I really had to stop and ask myself that question a few times in life. If you do believe in a soul, then the question of what do I want needs to be studied. What are you aiming for? Because the final test is all essay questions about that top topic. There's a story of a flight in the 70s that was going from New York to Miami where they were uh, having some issues with the landing gear coming down when they were over Florida. And I always think of this story as indicative of uh, where are you going? What are you aiming at? And as they were trying to fly into Miami, they radioed ahead and said there was problems with the landing gear. So they put them into a circle pattern kind of out over the Everglades or some marshy area. And while they were circling at 3,000 feet, the landing gear were still having issues, but the entire crew became fixated on a warning light. So while they're just in the circle pattern, the warning light is drawing all the attention over to, these, to this uh, one area. And of course, the, the warning light was not the problem. It was the gear not going down. But while that was happening, and they're all focused in this one area, the plane starts to descend gradually so that no one notices it and suddenly they're not thinking about where they're going to Miami they're thinking about this landing gear issue which uh, it sounds like in the end they it wasn't as bad as it could have been it was more of a some kind of technical problem with the light and the plane crashed into the marsh killing 80 people and I, I just think of this distraction this uh, everyone was focused on the warning light just some blinking thing in the corner and completely forgot the purpose of where that plane was going. So that's why I say, if, if you get distracted with something, you may go for that instead of what you're really trying to go for, what you're aiming for. Um, in that case, Miami, which is, is a nice place to go, but you know, it's kind of just talking about, I'm just comparing it to where do you want to go in the end? Where do you want to go? Do you want to go to heaven or do you even believe that's a possibility? Because the question of, do I believe I have a soul is really where you have to stop and ask it. So if there is no soul, then of course you don't need to study for this final test for the question. Uh, what else is there but this life? You know, you can pay lip service about ultimate meaning, but if death is final, then there is no final test and no need to study at all. So then you just go full Pumbaa, you go Hakuna Matata, you go, uh, Robin Williams, Carpe Diem, all the way, um, Zootopia, try everything, go crazy. You define your destiny. And the famous saying now is perception is reality, which is one of the best uh, sayings to sum up kind of a worldview of today. And after all, this view uh, that we have of this, if, if there is no soul, is it's, um, it's like Pontius Pilate when he said, summing up this modern worldview of what is truth? That's the famous line that Pontius Pilate says is what is truth? And that's kind of where you are. If you, you know, if there is no greater purpose, then you just make up your own truth. So 
So at that point in the in this podcast, I'd say good luck to you if the answer is no, no soul. Um, I suspect you've just stopped reading or listening about now. So thank you for joining, and I'll continue on for anyone else who's going to stay. So, all right. So if an adult lives only for himself but never commits to anything beyond his own goals or dreams, he will wind up being like a firework instead of the wheat plant we were discussing in part two. A firework amazes us briefly. Well, it amazes us if it's not a dud. And I know Katy Perry assured us that we are all fireworks. And But anyone who has lit July 4th mortars knows that not all fireworks pass by the Equality Assurance team before being boxed up and sent out the door. But even for the well-packaged and manufactured fireworks, even the best one will produce but a brief wonder that quickly fades and disappears into a smokeless void in the dark. And that's it. That's It's over. The firework is done. In comparison, the wheat plant story seems like a dud compared to that of a firework with its blaze of glory through the night. There was a poet named Dylan Thomas who said it really well in one of his probably his most famous poem, uh, which sounds a lot like a firework, when he said, Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at the close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. So it's like, um, it's great imagery, of course. Everybody loves that poem. It's so famous. Um, and Dylan Thomas went out like a firework himself uh, with a life of heavy drinking that likely killed him at the age of 39. There was a story that he drank 18 whiskeys in a row and other, you know, other stories have said that was an exaggeration, but there was no doubt um, he was a great writer and a heavy drinker. He had very uh, strained relationships due to alcohol, like everyone who drinks. And uh, he was miserable much of the time, but he got what he wanted. So he amazed us and burnt out like a firework. Um, like Neil Young's line in the song, it's better to burn out than to fade away. And that goes to these two movies I was talking about in part two. It's He's Neil Young or Dylan Thomas. It's, they're like saying it's better to be Natalie Portman in The Black Swan than Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler. You know, he's dying at the height of his fame. It's better to burn out hard and fast like a rocket than to just uh, fritter away and get old and, you know, waste away. Well, the wheat plant story is not like a firework. The advice for living uh, from Jesus points to a polar opposite life. Um, even though Jesus died at 33, but the blaze of glory of a rock star poet like Dylan Thomas is, is, is a kind of self-sacrifice, but for glory, fame, and recognition. And the kind of life and death Jesus refers to repeatedly leads to a humble, or in his case, even hated and loathed and mocked and tortured kind of death, but one that leads ultimately to salvation. So sometimes that's a tough sell to say, um, yeah, if you follow me, you're going to get hit. You'll be hated and, and maybe martyred or something. And uh, maybe no one will be at your funeral or and all of those things. But, you know, that that's a tough sell. And yet how many of us are saying, oh, pick me, please. That sounds great. Yeah, I want to do that. Well, the whole grain of wheat metaphor about it falling to the earth and dying. Um, <clears throat> a mature plant creates seed and each seed will fall and create more life. So there's this double metaphor here, one for your life and death and one for your life and spiritual rebirth while you are still alive. <clears throat> I think that's the one 
that's there's two I in my opinion there's two different metaphors here maybe even a third one but um, we'll, I'll try to talk to the <laughs> just the two but by dying to itself by not trying to preserve its present mature state and by not trying to live forever or gain notoriety above all other wheat plants the proper life of a wheat plant um, of its life uh, it lives through the death of the self of itself this metaphor like i said the, there may be a third one in here about having a family but the heart of this grain of wheat dying isn't about having children or a family although it can be but jesus did not have children and he's the ultimate grain of wheat so he's showing us through his own example even though he has no kids he has no um, he's celibate you know his whole life so um, it's not necessarily about that, but it could be read that way, which is why the story is so good. Um, all of these, all of these simple stories, uh, like the fables, uh, always have multiple layers to them, and that's what makes them great for children and adults. And that's why you can go to them as a child and as a, a teen and an adult, and you're still getting stuff out of these. So the parable uh, is about returning to the spirit of childhood and having a childlike faith. It's about spiritual rebirth. It's another way of saying, be baptized and believe. So it's about forgetting the self and living for others. And the dying applies to whether you're married or celibate or barren or whatever, with or without children, young or old, black or white, man or woman. It's for everyone. The death of self is about living a life of faith, hope, and charity. So life is not lost, but rather is restored to health by returning to a childlike faith. We gain nothing by living forever in adulthood. And let me just point this out. Um, have you ever seen any vampire movies where the vampire is happy? I have never seen one. I, I don't think you could. I, I, I don't think there's any vampire movies out there like that. I mean, the vampire has found the fountain of youth and is perfectly miserable. And do you know why that is? It's because without time or age or bodily breakdown to worry about, a vampire can do whatever it desires. It gets whatever it wants. The vampire um, defeats those limits that we have. I mean, they're even really fast. Um, you know, they're, they're good at everything they do pretty much, except for they can't go outside in the sun. Um, I think of the baseball game in one of the Twilight movies where they're hitting it like, five miles and running down the fly ball, which is um, kind of crazy, but I kind of liked that anyway because it was entertaining. Um, but the thing is, uh, it's, it's, there's, you're going out like a firework or you're going out like this vampire. So the vampire has exactly what it wants. It's kind of always getting what it wants and it's miserable. Um, the person who goes out like a firework entertains for just this split moment and there's like this false love but um for the firework but really it's just for entertainment so um so anyway i had to ask myself this question um if i were a soulless vampire who lived forever what would i do well do you know what i would do and this this I, when i asked myself this question i i this was what came to mind so First, I would probably uh, want to rob a bank or something so I had plenty of cash for tuition. So I I'd need enough money to make this plan work. So I, I, there's a crime, I guess. You know, Actually, they say every great fortune starts with a crime. So um, this is just, I, I, it's like a lottery scenario. So I'm saying uh, if I were a vampire and I won the lottery, I guess maybe I want to say. But what would I do? I would enroll in a university and I'd take physics, biology, chemistry, and math courses. 
until they ran out of classes. Like I'd take them all. I would take it right to the end. Um, that would take years, of course, but you're a vampire, so who cares? And at the same time, since I just have this unlimited stretch, um, I would be taking language courses in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, um, probably Chinese or uh, Japanese. I mean, I'd want to learn all of that. Um, and ideally, I'd spend a decade learning Eastern and Western philosophy. Um, I'd want to learn about like cultures, um, their histories, um, everything we know anthropologically, you know, just everything, you know, African culture, all those things that I don't know about, South American, uh, you know, I took a few of those classes in college because they were kind of required diversity credits. So, you know, um, just everything. And I'd, I would cap it off by applying to like an ultra nerdy Dominican school of theology because the Dominicans are um, like the geeks uh, among Catholics. So they are always reading and studying. That's the stereotype anyway. Um, with all of that knowledge, then I would feel like I had a start on what I'd like to soak up, what I'd like to know. There's always this, I just want this knowledge, you know. But unfortunately, even after all of that was done, I'd still have the rest of eternity to figure out what to do here on earth with my vampire self. Other than, you know, find my daily rodent for sustenance. I mean, they probably just have a mouse cage. I don't know what, what a vampire would do for that, but I guess... You know, once I got through all of that and I learned all that, I could probably do like the the weekly New York Times crossword because I've never been able to finish one. Um, but in, in reality, I'm glad I'm not a vampire. There's, you can think of the advantages, um, all the time you'd have, the ability to study or learn or do whatever you wanted. But um, I don't want to live forever. You know, I, I don't know. I think there's like this idea around people, especially uh, you'll read about startups in Silicon Valley where they're trying to basically do this um, to find a way to live forever. Um, but as a vampire, I stick to that. I mean, I don't even like the taste of blood when my nose bleeds for no reason in the Minnesota winter, where our skin becomes like the surface of Mars or like, um, you know, the, the uh, Death Valley floor. Um, so based on the diet alone, Bella can have Edward. Um, she can be a vampire. Like, no, thank you. I'm just going to pass on that lifestyle altogether. So, but without limits, without these limits, life becomes meaningless for the same reason that waking up to Christmas morning every day would become pointless to children. There was a, I remember a, there was a Donald Duck movie where Huey, Dewey, and Louie, every day is Christmas, and they're just, they're so excited about it. And of course, the first two days is the greatest thing ever, Christmas, Christmas, and third day, Christmas. And by the 15th or 20th day, they are miserable because it's Christmas again. And now this um, joy has no, no uh, meaning for them. So that was a, a good Disney movie or Dis TV show. It was like a short. Um, uh, this, this leads right up to the same problem for adults who believe they want no constraints. And then living in that boundless world, uh, you find out that the limits actually have a purpose. Like getting what we want all the time is not what we really want. So back to the idea of living forever. Like the mythical vampire, we think we want to live forever. But eternal life on earth would become a living hell. And some vampire movies actually go into that. Um, I remember like um, one of Anne Rice's movies where Tom Cruise is miserable. You know, it's, it's they're always miserable, the vampires. So... To wish for endless life here on earth is like hoping to win the lottery. That's another 
it's kind of like, I want to live forever. I want to win the lottery. Then everything's going to be great. And we have various ways of saying that. It's like when I say, like, we want to win the state title, you want to um, be the best looking person in town or whatever. You know, there's just different versions of this where you're the you you're the top. There's no limits. And um, we think all problems disappear with enough time and money um, or physical attributes. But we forget the fundamental flaw, um, the yearning for for time and money or even beauty is a kind of escapism. And what we really want is heaven. And heaven is to rest and to stop searching. It's to stop this constant like wanting. My imagined scenario that I just did of what would I do if I were a vampire? Um, it's kind of like the song, if I were a rich man, if I was a rich man, um, if I was a vampire. Well, when I did that exercise, that literally just betrayed my where my treasure is and where my heart is at. Um, notice that what I considered worth doing with unlimited time and granted the stolen money that I talked about, cause I needed like a fortune, um, to do this, but it was to pursue endless education. So notice that I did not wish, I did not wish for faith, hope, and charity. When I said, you know, if you asked yourself, if, if I were a vampire, what would I want? And if the first three words out of your mouth are faith, hope, and charity, then you're doing way better than I did on that question. So. Um, my lottery fantasy, my goal, if I became limitless, was not to love God and love others. That's the two commandments. That's the two. It's so there's, there's like five, you can say it in like six words to love God and to love others. It's, it's really short and it's, we just, I just forget it, you know, immediately as soon as somebody's like, Hey, what if you could have this, um, anything you wanted? Oh, I want to do all these things. Well, wait, oh yeah, there's those two commandments, right? Yeah. I forgot about those. Um. So my imagination took me straight to loving myself and increasing my knowledge and literally to become more like God and not to think about others. It was all about my learning or education. So the fountain of youth and lottery fantasy is a great way to um, tattle on your where your treasure's at. Like you ask yourself, if I had unlimited time and money, what would I do? And you'd be like, well, I'd be sitting down in Barbados on the beach. And it's like, oh, so you wouldn't be um, you wouldn't be loving God and loving others. Oh yeah. I'd try to do that too. You know, when I, when I got done with my run on the beach and my lunch and out on the porch or on the veranda, whatever. And so, I mean, just ask yourself, what would I, if I have unlimited time and money, what would I do? And hardly anyone would say, um, I would give glory to God. I'd pray for salvation. I'd give all my time to widows and orphans. I just, I didn't say that. That didn't even pop in my head. I had to think about what I said. And then look at it and say, wow, I'm, I'm not even close to what I should be. If my heart was truly changed, I would, I would not want the things that I had just said. But then if you're a vampire, you have no soul. So you can, you can argue it that way and say, yeah, well, it doesn't matter because there is no afterlife if, if you're just a soulless thing that's here. But I mean, even a vampire could probably at least pray for it. But anyway, um, my desires were all for myself. So my treasure is not youthful skin. Mine is actually worse. Uh, the first thing that sprung into my mind was to elevate my knowledge. And when you think about gaining knowledge, that's, that's literally the first sin to eat from the tree of knowledge. And that's why it's the first one. Just like Eve, I was tempted for more knowledge with the idea that I might be more like a God. And, and just for the record, no snake was present in my house or talking to me when this happened. It just was me 
sitting around with my uh, laptop and thinking about it or sitting in a chair. Uh, there was no talking snake or apple or fruit tree. Um, it's just that when you ask me, what would I want? I want more knowledge, you know, that's so it's just an interesting, that interesting thing in the third book of, or the third chapter of Genesis, that's exactly what they're saying. And my first instinct was to eat from the tree of knowledge. The point here is that pride, even if hidden away, or you think it's hidden away, it waits to emerge whenever opportunity appears. It's just always waiting. It's always waiting. Um, and the, the funny thing is, is that as soon as you think you're humble, it's you're not. You've lost it the minute you even notice it. So um, there's a funny story about people who would say that is like, um, you know, after they've reflected on things or changed things and, and then they think to themselves, I'm a lot more humble than I used to be, which is you just lost it. It's gone. You've you just lost it as soon as you, you're proud of being humble. So as soon as the door opens and as soon as constraints are removed, we slip into patterns that the ancient stories of Genesis warn us about. They know all about this. The, the old stories have these all built into it. And we just don't think of it because we read it literally and think it's silly that there's a talking snake. But anyway, um, to, to give oneself away instead of elevate oneself is best shown through the life of, of Jesus because he chose death. So like Dylan Thomas kind of chose death, but it was more of like a self-destructive kind. Um, Jesus was going toward death, but he, he was doing it through faith, hope and charity and love despite the fact that he could have shown us his limitlessness whenever he wanted. I mean, if we wanted a firework, he could have done whatever he wanted. Um, I mean, if you can make bread from other bread just magically or fish from other fish, or you can walk on water, you, you, can, you could have done things to just blow our minds. And of course, on the, like the transfiguration, um, that does happen. The resurrection, I mean, those are things where that is like a firework but you know, he's only showing it to a few and then everyone else is like uh, coming to believe in it through this grace, through this gift that is given. Um, he could have chose, think about this, he could have chose to be incarnated with the intention of instructing us on knowledge on say sustainable energy or better farming techniques or really, I mean, the ultimate skincare routine. Jesus could have came and given us the ultimate night preparation skincare routine, but he didn't. Um, he could have held seminars about microbiology and germs and surgery and neurology, those kind of things to help us leap forward in medicine. You know, he could have came to earth and, and delivered a model of the solar system. So we'd got off the, the Ptolemaic version or, you know, we would have leaped ahead. Um, he could have walked us through like the geological strata of the earth to help us make sense of our world. He could have come however he wanted and lived forever. Um, he could have came and showed us how the best um, zone, zone press for basketball or maybe the best uh, prevent defense to help teams win games in the Super Bowl or some strategy for soccer. Um, there's just so many things he could have came and done that would have really helped us in certain ways. And um, really, any, he could have came however he wanted. He could have lived forever. He, um, he could have produced a world of plenty where no one lacked any food or shelter. And all of those things were, are kind of summed up in the three temptations he faced in the desert. Um, he, he even could have sent us robots to serve our every need. Uh, but we're probably going to invent those at some point. We're kind of getting there already. But 
you know, he could have infused us with this complete knowledge so that we could converse with him on the patio in any language. Imagine that if he came and taught us all every language and we could have like talked with him and then we could have spoke with him and say Arabic or English or Japanese or even um, the Gleepglorp language from the planet Zoltan that we don't even know about yet. I mean, that would be really cool. But I mean, heck, he, he could have just decided instead to smite us all. I mean, if we really wanted a firework, he could have came in the uh, reign of fire and terror just for kicks and like, um, like Thanos killed every other one of us, but he didn't. We, he could have, but he didn't. You know, there's even like these moments in the Bible where people are trying to throw him off the cliff and he just passes through their midst because his hour has not yet come. <laughs> He's just like, it's like this, um, you know, he could do whatever he wants. He's, he doesn't though. So he didn't do it that way. And it's, that's why we struggle with this. Um, so this time for his first visit to us, he showed us how to live. That's what he did. He comes and gives us this example. He gives us some, some great words and stories. And he shows us how to live with humility by example. And that's what is so strange about it. You know, rather than kicking down doors and dropping bombs like the heroes we expect, like, say, Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie Commando or any superhero movie where they come and just kick ass all over the place, he comes in this most unexpected manner where it's this humble servant um, giving of himself constantly and tells us like the grain of wheat who that must die and fall to the earth or be, you must be born, reborn in the water, uh, reborn in the spirit. Um, that's why it's so confusing because the savior of the world comes in this way that seems like he's just an ordinary man. He's not going out in a blaze of glory like we expect him to. And we'll talk about that in the next section of this one, uh, part four.